Back in the days, we were still talking 4G. We've been convinced since day one that we had that vision to reinvent the future of communication. You fast forward to 2022 and we're very, very close to realizing that vision. This is Techcetera, a podcast by Ericsson about the intersection of technology, culture, etc. I'm your host, Sarah Goss, and I'm Head of Innovation at Ericsson. For the first time ever, we've seen an Olympics and World Cup contested in empty stadiums and bustling offices turned into ghost towns. However, COVID, like all other troubled times, has also been a catalyst for accelerated innovation, from remote working technologies to immersive entertainment and educational experiences. This prompts us to ask, has COVID in some ways left a positive legacy? To answer this question in this episode of Techcetera, we speak with Peter Corbett and Thomas Dexmere, leaders in technological transformation and virtual reality experiences. Peter leads Deloitte's consulting practice for the industries of telco, media and technologies. He works closely with the TMT sector, consulting with clients on growth strategies, transformational technologies and the opportunities afforded by 5G. Thomas, a mobile telecommunications engineer by trade, emigrated from France in 2010 to work for, as he describes it, the holy grail of innovative mobile technologies. More than a decade later, he still works for HTC, leading the way in the development of VR technology to improve people's lives. Let's get into the conversation. Peter, can you tell me more about your role and focus at Deloitte? Yes, Sarah, thanks for having me on this podcast. Look, yes, I lead our consulting business for telco media and technology in Australia. So it gives me the opportunity to look at how each of the companies that we work with in those sectors are evolving. And specifically, I sit within our strategy team. So it's often thinking about the future, some of the choices that those companies are making and their relationship back into the changing nature of convergence across the sector. One of the roles that I also play is I focus on how 5G is being rolled out across Asia Pacific and where Deloitte is supporting clients to do so, which allows me to see a lot about the role in which Asia Pacific is taking or the leadership role that Asia Pacific is taking on 5G, but also some of the interesting and new use cases that we're seeing that are afforded by that technology. I get to play quite a wide ranging role. Probably one other thing to say is I'm heavily involved in our digital consumer trends report, our TMT predictions, as well as our advanced wireless survey, which are snapshots of how consumers are interacting with the emerging nature of digital technologies, but also how enterprises are looking at taking up things like 5G or Wi-Fi 6 in their environment. And Thomas, you've been with HTC for over a decade. What first drew you to the company and then inspires you to continue working there after such a long time? Yes, decades. Thanks for reminding me. It's been an absolute blast and a crazy journey. I started off as a mobile telecommunications engineer, as you said, and back in the days, I've always aspired to work for HTC, synonym with innovation and always at the forefront of challenging the technology and back in the day as HTC was the smartphones manufacturer any engineer would want to work for obviously things have changed a lot and yeah 11 years later my job is to drive the ANZ market in terms of adoption of virtual reality solutions for both the consumer and the commercial world 
So every day for me is a new day, talking to specifically the commercial clients, the operational challenges that they've had to solve in the last couple of years specifically range from using the tech to train their staff to keep a social link between them, making sure that people still feel like they belong to organizations in different ways, shape or forms. But the digital transformation does now include XR technologies. And for us at HTC Vive, it's called virtual reality. You mentioned in your time with the company that HTC decided to transition away from mobiles into virtual reality or VR. Why? There's two reasons, obviously. The first one is that as the smartphones market did mature around 2014, 2015, the pressure from the tier one vendors was getting higher and higher. And that's how all the legacy manufacturers, including us, started to suffer a little bit. So we had to reinvent ourselves. The reality of market shares dropping led to some really good opportunities to reinvent ourselves and reinvent the business. And obviously, with the very strong legacy we had, in mobile technologies and that was really part of our DNA. Back in the days we were still talking 4G but 5G was in our radar and we thought what is going to be the killer application for 5G when this network technology becomes mainstream and we've been convinced since day one that we had that vision to reinvent the future of communication and work and life so at different levels bridging virtual reality and 5G and other really cool technologies like artificial intelligence, blockchain. Yeah, and you fast forward to 2022 and we're very, very close to realizing that vision. Very exciting. Peter, I want to ask you, what exactly are AR, VR and XR? Can you define them for us and talk about how these new technologies have grown in the focus that you have at Deloitte? Yeah, happy to. And I'm sure Tom can jump in if I miss anything here. But AR, VR, XR, they're all part of an extended reality framework. And so AR is augmented reality, which is effectively augmenting what you see in front of you. And that can be done with a smartphone or it can be done with a headset. And you've seen lots of examples of, say, apps, be that the IKEA app, come out and allow you to augment your living room with their furniture in a virtual way. Virtual reality is a more immersive technology in the sense that you are literally experiencing another reality. And when you put on a headset, typically use a headset, you're transported into a new reality, something that's virtual. We're also seeing multi-reality, so combinations of virtual reality, augmented reality, and specifically being able to move between those two versions of it seamlessly as being an emerging use of extended reality. For Deloitte, we have made investments in XR in a number of facets. So firstly, thinking about how we as Deloitte use XR within our own environments. So for our service offerings that we provide, how can we augment the way that we present a strategy, present a service design, present a plan, advisory using extended realities but also we're working with our clients so both in terms of building content that might fit on a xr platform or helping clients to think about how xr could be used within their own environments so tom would be really familiar with this but working with for example field forces in enterprise and how they use augmented reality in the field to augment what it is that they see and do so if you're out fixing a particular piece of infrastructure or equipment, you could put on augmented reality headsets to give you a breakdown of the specifics of that particular piece of equipment and turn what is typically a relatively manual process into something that's augmented, automated, and more intelligent at the point of interaction. So we're helping organizations think through how that application might work within their business as well. 
Thomas, in the intro there, you described how HDC reinvented itself and looked ahead to what might be the killer apps when it comes to 5G and hence the foray into virtual reality. Is there a killer app? Could it be the application Peter just spoke about there in the field force scenario or something else? I don't think there's one killer app. There's going to be multiple killer apps across different industries. But obviously, at this stage, we're talking enterprise solutions. Obviously, from the consumer's point of view, people usually associate VR with gaming. And whilst it is still the case, very much, I can give you a few examples of how VR can be used in different ways in context of your own home and family. But obviously, what we're seeing from a commercial application standpoint is that the killer application with virtual reality, I'm not talking augmented reality here, I'm only talking VR, is anything to do with training and simulation. We're seeing a massive adoption of this technology for businesses to make sure that not only their workforce stays up to scratch with their skill sets and what's going to be required in the job, but obviously allows for things like reaccreditation. So how do you actually find ways to use the technology to maybe train someone on site working on a train, for example, and then do all the reaccreditation, which basically means that the training that these guys have to complete on a yearly basis to be authorized to work and continue to run their operations, how can they actually do that in a digital way? And VR is certainly the solution for it. In addition to that, the other real killer application, and this is something we're probably going to start seeing a little bit more starting this year and beyond, is anything to do with remote collaboration. And we've seen that. I'm sure we're going to be talking about how COVID has changed things over the last couple of years, but the need for people to stay closer together beyond the boredom of a 2D screen as people have had to do it overnight once COVID happened and people have been told to stay home and communicate with their peers using tiny little screen on their smartphone. We are 3D animals and we need ways to consume content in 3D and virtual reality is a really strong solution for that. Peter, let's pick up on what Thomas referred to there, which is the disruption of COVID. It did force us all out of the office, but now it seems we really have embraced remote working as the new normal with employees like us expecting to be flexible, to work in a hybrid way and to have technologies that facilitate this just as a given, as standard. Why is this the case? It's a really interesting phenomenon that has been brought about by the pandemic. At Deloitte as well, we've embraced fully flexible working, work when you want, where you want, whenever you want. And, you know, obviously that's focused on making sure that we still reach the outcomes that we need. But it's certainly Deloitte is not the only company that's doing that as well. Look, we actually looked at this in our digital consumer trend survey back in 2020 when the pandemic first hit. And we saw that 37% of Australians were working from home and that was 2020. So I imagine that number is actually a lot higher. And when we asked people what they felt were some of the benefits of that. A lot of people said, look, hey, flexible working is really helping me to save time in the day. Roughly, I think it was five and a half hours per week. The average Australian was saying they were saving by being able to work at home or work flexibly. And that's often because they're not having to do a commute both to and from work. Interesting thing about that is actually whilst people are saving time by not commuting, they're actually plowing it more into the work where we saw a lot of people saying that that extra time is actually being used to do more work. So this kind of idea of, hey, I'm saving time in my day, but I'm actually 
applying it into work also then brings up this question of is the new normal actually going to help us be a little bit more balanced in our lives and I certainly hope that when we see this trend perhaps two or three years down the track that the technologies that we have to facilitate flexible working are allowing us to be more efficient but also giving us time to stop move away from the technologies and just actually embrace a little bit more of life with kids if you have kids spending more time with them with your family or getting out and exercising more I think what's been interesting as well is that just the habits the barriers have been broken down and whereas prior to the pandemic getting on a conference call on a video conference call in Australia I thought was actually relatively niche that wouldn't happen all that much but now it is kind of the norm and I think we're all sitting at home doing this call I think a lot more people are embracing that as a thing to do into the future. Thomas how has VR technology been adopted during I'm reluctant to say after the pandemic but maybe as we're normalizing a little bit with living with COVID? We've seen that trend pretty much in the very early days of COVID whereby the consumer market started to warm up to the idea of having more technology in the house, whether you're a hardcore gamer or you want to find solutions for your kids and your entire family to find a way to, whilst you're physically locked down within the four walls of the house, be able to travel, be able to make the most of it. And yes, things have changed a lot, but the one thing that hasn't changed is our need as human beings to socialize, to discover new horizon, to get access to content that only VR at that point in time was able to deliver. So the consumer market has actually boomed. The thing that has changed a lot in terms of adoption is really people in the commercial space that were dipping their toes into VR before the pandemic thought that now was the right time for them to think about using the tech as part of their digital transformation and not just as a proof of concept, but something that they would have to deploy at scale. And this is exactly what we're seeing now. I mean, are we completely out of this? I don't know, but has our need and the way we communicate with our colleagues, has that changed for good? I believe so. So, you know, operational challenges, there's tons of them, yeah, for every single organization, whether you're a small, medium business or you're one of the largest corporate clients in Australia, there's solutions for everyone with XR technologies would have things be fundamentally different if there was no pandemic. I think it would, but we would still be on that trend whereby obviously not as exponential as what we're living it now, but people would still consider XR technologies as part of their transformation. It was inevitable. I think the technology adoption curve is at play, but perhaps what's happened is it's accelerated because of the pandemic. But Also, you mentioned their consumer adoption, and I wonder to what extent the adoption in our personal lives of AR or probably VR more so paved the way for this appetite you're describing on the commercial and and enterprise front. For me personally, I actually had my first free roam immersive VR experience at zero latency only a couple of weeks ago. And they used HTC headsets. You'd be pleased to know, Thomas, but it was awesome. I was a little bit like, I don't know if this is going to be my thing. It's, I don't know if it's going to float my boat, but it transported me somewhere else. And it was really fun and it was very real. And I wonder to what extent now for me, having that experience and maybe for others as well, that in our personal lives is paving the way for us to have more propensity to be open to the uptake in other facets of our work and our lives. What do you think, Thomas? Something that has changed a lot over the last 24 months as well is the availability of content. And there is an experience for everyone in VR. It's no longer just a 
you have to be a hardcore gamer that loves shooting zombies and doing lots of crazy stuff in a fast moving game fps type content but there's a lot of really good experiences for the families now whether it's learning for the kids anything to do with culture and our culture i've got french background and for me it's always fascinating when i put the headset on my kids head and i switch on a really cool experience called mona lisa beyond the glass and the blink of an eye you're transported in the louvre in paris and as if you were there with all the benefits of not having to fight the crowds you're in front of the Mona Lisa and you're learning everything about it. it's like a 20 minutes narrative where you actually learn so much more than if you were there you know at a fraction of the cost so there is a lot of positive in terms of how pandemic has kind of disrupted our daily lives and certainly from a consumer standpoint there are only a few examples of what experiences are available now for the end user but VR means so much more than just gaming now. Well, I've taken the first step because I've had the shooting the zombies experience, but it sounds like there's a lot more out there for me. And picking up, Pete, on your point about saving time and remote working, Peter, do you see VR as an alternative to going back to the office full time? I mean, it's a really interesting question. And it's funny because I would say my own personal recent experiences of being face-to-face with colleagues in another country even has been so rewarding that it's hard for me to go all out and say anything would replace that face-to-face interaction. But look, I think the technologies and the platforms and the content that support it are evolving in such a nature that it's foreseeable that in some point in the future, immersive technologies like VR are going to replace some level of that interaction. The one thing I think I would love to see a little bit more, and you certainly get this when you're in person, is that the serendipitous connections that do arise from being in an office environment, that passing someone in a hallway who you haven't seen for a while, sparking a conversation, those kinds of things are, are harder to replicate in a virtual environment, but perhaps we just haven't seen the platform or the experience to help you get a little bit more serendipity into your life through the technologies that we have. But I'm sure Thomas can tell us that, hey, we're working on it and serendipitous VR is on its way. Is that right, Thomas? Is that the point in time in the conversation where we're dropping the M bomb or not? We can start (laughs) talking metaverse, you know, but yeah, ultimately there would be solutions whereby the effort it takes for someone to tune into a VR meeting will kind of disappear and it would be as easy as you know the way you engage with your friends on WhatsApp or any form of social media it would then become the matter of put the headset on and there would be some digital space for you to hang out whether it's again for professional and productivity reasons is there more you know of a social aspect to it it really depends but yeah we've started to do a little bit of tease on social media around what HTC is doing in that space. Viverse is the name of our very own version of the metaverse, but the concept is it's a very open place. I'm not giving too much away here, but based on WebXR solutions, which means that we kind of try to find a way to become device agnostic in a sense that we don't think that Viverse is only for people that wear VR headsets. It's really an, a matter of giving customers and users the option to tune into a social space or a digital twin of your work environment using whichever platform is going to work for you at any given time. So if you're on the bus commuting back home and you need to tune into a virtual meeting, do it from your phone and you would still get to see on this tiny, teeny 2D screen what's happening in that space. But 
by the time you get home, maybe there's a social gathering happening with your friends and you've got your VR headset ready to go. So put the headset on and basically as simple as clicking on a meeting invite in Outlook, right? And you'll be thrown in this virtual space for you to hang out, socialize, brainstorm, really do whatever you want and whatever you feel like with your mates or with your work colleagues. A lot of the scenarios we're touching on here fundamentally relate to connecting with other people. And Thomas, you were talking earlier about the application of virtual reality in a lot of interesting kind of health and well-being type of scenarios too. So as we see the impacts of COVID, but even as issues such as isolation and loneliness are facets of life for many of our community, how is the advancement of VR in a personal use situation helping to overcome these things? There's two ways to look at it. Obviously, the first one is access to hardware, access to content, which is always going to be a matter of affordability, being widespread and having a really tight network of resellers and partners that resell the hardware but have the ability to deliver some really good quality content. And I'm very proud to say that down under, we've got a very tight network of people that do develop content for VR, top quality content, which we can be extremely proud of. Then you've got the other aspect to it, which is your distribution, but through network connectivity. How do we get to a point where even these remote locations get actually serviced by people in the industry that have the mandate of covering the population? And then once you've got that, and this is where we can start talking about 5G, and Pete's got a lot of insights on that, but when 5G becomes a bit more ubiquitous and everybody has this really powerful data connectivity, that will help us a lot, hardware or VR hardware manufacturers, that will help us a lot come down to a price point that is much more affordable for the hardware because we don't have to embed all these components within the headset. Peter, with the ubiquitous 5G that Thomas referenced, do you imagine that immersive technologies will become less of a bolt-on or an addition to our lives to be more integral in the way that we live? Will we live dual lives, maybe? I think what we're going to see is people really using it for a specific use case, particularly in its early days. So we mentioned training, we mentioned sort of field force workers and their ability to access materials and inputs in that context. That really is where you're going to see it happen. It might move towards a double personality, two lives at a later stage, particularly with the price of VR and AR headsets coming down. People might have that as their second device. Consumer adoption of these devices in Australia, what we've seen from our surveys and I'm sure Thomas has got some other data on this, is that we see about 8% of Australians having access to a VR headset, which did go up during the pandemic. So we saw that up from about 6% prior to 2020. So people did go out and buy headsets. But 8% compared to if you go to a smartphone, that's almost a 94% access in the population. If you look at a smartwatch, it's up there in around the mid-50s across the Australian population. So we're not at a mass level of adoption of these devices. And I think there's a lot of different barriers to that. But what I'd love to see in terms of broad adoption of this is that that sort of curve heading up a bit more. But I think that will come with the cost going down, really understanding the use cases for people. And I think Thomas has given some really great examples of immersive experiences that people can tap into nowadays. But also adoption in the enterprise is likely to lead to adoption at home as well. Thomas, you were nodding there as Peter was 
talking about how adoption in the enterprise or commercial sphere might lead to or drive personal adoption of VR. What are your reflections on that? Because it's the opposite of what we were talking about earlier a little bit. To an extent it is, but in the last couple of years, HTC has, we've kind of realigned our business to be more focused on B2B as opposed to, you know, the consumer market. So whilst we still have very strong offering in the consumer market, we stand for top end, top quality VR in the workplace. And when Pete says, look, I've tried VR at work and then I'm going to start to progressively introduce VR in my personal life. That's exactly the trend that we're trying and the behavior that we're trying to drive. Try VR at work by going down a mine and doing an exercise where you have to spot dangerous situations. Things that might lead to casualties or even worse, potentially, that this is a typical example where that use case is only practically doable in VR. But for people to learn by doing and really trigger and activate their muscle memories, VR is the only way for some organizations to replicate some really tricky and dangerous situations. And by being able to repeat the process over and over and over again, you get used to consuming content, but not in such a passive way. You're an actor, you're within the content and you're driving it. Every single movement in that space has its own implications. And people actually are exposed to this potentially for the first time in the workplace and then realize the potential of it maybe have a chat at a barbecue and you know, next sunday with their friends and they realize that the conversation sparks some really interesting reflections around hang on if i've been able to do this in the context of being trying to work safely in the mind does that mean i could do this or does that mean i could do that or does that mean i could actually travel to mars one day and the answer is yes the, the sky is the limit but it's a double-edged sword, yeah? So it's either specifically the position that we've taken is create the best possible VR solution for the enterprise world. And it goes beyond the hardware and the price tag, yeah? We need to understand that for enterprise to adopt virtual reality technologies at scale, there's a lot more considerations that they are looking at, specifically safety, user data privacy, and anything to do with IT integration. So how do I connect the, the hardware to my network? And we start talking mobile device management territory, which is taking me back to the 8% market adoption that Pete was referring back to. And when you think about in the early days, maybe 15 years ago, when the iPad came out and it was a slow adoption in the workplace because this new type of form factor was coming with a bunch of operational challenges in terms of exactly what we've described before and look where we're at now there's no one place office school that doesn't have even just one but 10 15 ipads everywhere so this is exactly the kind of path and train we're on how long is it going to take it's very hard to say but we're still very much convinced that the 5g becoming ubiquitous vr hardware and content coming together at some point will definitely increase the speed at which the market whether it's consumer or enterprise, we'll adopt the tech. Peter, do you have a view as to how long it will take? Because all of us can probably relate to now working for the companies that we do. We get given a laptop, we get given a mobile phone. Some of us might get a tablet or BYOD, bring your own device, and we have a tablet and other things that we can use for our work. Thomas has given us some really practical examples of how it can be utilized in real world settings by employees. So how far off do you think it is? 
that VR headset or these types of technologies become a standard piece of equipment that we have? I think it's in years, possibly in five to 10 years time. And I'm only saying that because having covered mobility specifically in our mobile consumer survey, now digital trends survey for the last almost 10 years, just seeing the slow adoption of things like smartphones with some demographics, I think a question I would have and I'd be really interested in the research on this is when will we see the VR only, like first to VR, VR first or AR first generation of Australians or globally? And from there, I think you'll see a mass adoption across lots of demographics for lots of different use cases. But until you sort of get to that VR first type generation, you're probably not necessarily going to see that. You're going to see a lot of conversion have to happen. I think it's going to be a little while until we see that sort of mass adoption happening. Thomas, what's your perspective on what a VR first generation looks like? Well, I wish I could say it's happening now. I've got very young kids and for them, they're not asking me to play games on my computer. They're not asking me to play games on my phone. They're like, Dad, can we get into VR? Mom's not home. Can we try VR? I said, nah. And I've got my personal views as well as to how much time I should let them spend in virtual reality because as much as I love for them to be able to go out and discover the pyramids in Egypt because that's what they're learning at school. Yeah, I still have some reservations as to how much time in terms of you know design and the, how close you've got these cranes sitting to your eyes. So this is what the future is going to tell us. But at the moment, I'm still thinking that the education market as a whole, so bringing VR headsets to the classroom is still causing some challenges or exposing some technical and operational challenges. And I thought very early that for the education market, cost of the hardware would be an issue. It takes time and it's really a lot of education, driving the awareness, doing some pilot programs, you know, getting people that want to put their hand up today in 2022 to be part of this first generation of people that would just execute the vision that they've got for their schools, for example. But, you know, I'm talking school, we could talk about the other end of the spectrum. I mean, we're seeing demographics with the older generation using virtual reality in nursing homes. And surprisingly enough, I think sometimes it's easier for them to consume or to experience something within a VR headset than it is for them to do it on a desktop. So once we go past that fragmentation of content per audience, and virtual reality becomes a world where there's really a variety of experiences for everybody across the entire spectrum of the population, that's where things are going to go to the next level. I watched an episode of Old People's Home for Four-Year-Olds. I don't know if you've seen it. So uplifting. You may have seen the one where there was a woman throughout her lifetime who loved to travel but in her older age was unable to and was given the experience of putting on a VR headset and reminiscing of all these wonderful places around the world that she had been and it transported her right back there and it was so palpable and vivid for her. It it created a visceral reaction and very, very powerful and she was quite overwhelmed. It was really amazing to watch. But, you know, we've got customers like, so nursing homes, obviously, as I said before, but palliative care services coming to us, asking us for help to support their patients for whatever's left for them to enjoy. And they're coming to VR. They're not going to smartphone. They're not going to cinematic experience. They want full immersion. Now, there's always a little bit of work beyond the scenes, obviously, to drive experiences like that. But when you see the smile on their face, it's priceless. Whatever age 
whatever ethnicity group, everybody will find a way to enjoy VR and the elderly is always a great example. Let's go back to the education setting, Peter. At my kids' primary school, they actually have about 20-odd VR headsets, but I actually don't know how much they utilised. So I wonder about the education of the educators because they're the ones facilitating the classroom. What have you noticed, I suppose, in the education sphere about this type of thing? This that sort of facilitator or the person who's involved with it, that applies in so many different contexts. We had a TNT prediction on multi-reality just last year, and it was talking about education as being one of the key use cases for multi-reality use. But you really are having to rethink not only the experience for the person who's using AR and VR, but rethinking the whole education curriculum. So the facilitator obviously then needs to be able to say, okay, here's when we're going to use VR, AR, and here's how it's going to be used. And it's going to make this kind of point, or I'm going to train you to this level, or it's going to get you to this point in your curriculum. So there's a lot of skills and capabilities that people need to learn in order to change the way in which they use this technology in an educational environment. Thomas, have you got any interesting stories about situations where you've been teaching somebody how to utilize VR or even in a group setting observed people learning how to use the technology? There's the usual trade show, you know, and people come to trade shows. I mean, I was lucky enough to go back to a couple of trade shows in the last couple of months, which felt quite unusual, but it's good to be back to normal. And you look at how people behave, it's pretty straightforward the way they do it now. They see a VR headset, they're no longer running away from it. They're like, oh yeah, it must be a pretty cool experience, what's going on? So they put their headset on and you don't actually need to talk them through the controllers. I mean, obviously VR controllers come with a bunch of joysticks and clickers at the back and A, B and X, Y buttons. It's not specifically easy, but it becomes second nature pretty quick. So that's always great for us to see that some of these slightly more enterprise solutions that we develop that do not have the sexy appeal of the hardware, but being used to really optimize and enhance the way the content is delivered in the context of a large group training. But the other thing I've actually done a couple of weeks ago and went to my kids' schools and year twos, they don't even need you to explain anything. They're like, yeah, give me the headset, turn it on, give me the controllers and off I go. It's not like they had started their very first digital experiences with a VR headset, but close enough for it to be second nature for these kids. As we look forward, Peter, what do you think these immersive technologies mean in terms of the world we're going to live in? How will they change our world? Hopefully it's a lot more connected. I think there's just still a few barriers to that from the form factor itself and particularly within your own personal environments. But I really hope that enterprises and consumers can embrace these technologies and and find the really, really beneficial use cases for them. Do you agree, Thomas, the potential is there for this to enable us to be more connected rather than disconnected? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's really the holy grail of this, right? So that's what's at stake, really 
giving end users options really to stay connected with their peers. And one day, the best option is going to be a coffee catch-up. And the next day, the best option would be a quick VR hookup because they live 20,000 kilometers away from each other. And it's much better to sit down and watch a game of football or watch a movie together in the context of a virtual reality experience that will allow you to create those real memories of a virtual event because at the end of the day that's what you want yeah it's stay connected and the thing that you kind of take away have to stay forever and this is these real memories that i'm hoping that more connection or more options to stay connected will deliver and will drive in the future that's a great note i think for us to end on this idea of real memories from virtual experiences in the true fashion of hybrid which is also the catch cry of today so Thomas Dexmier and Peter Corbett, thank you so much for joining Techcetera today. Thanks very much for having us. It was a very pleasant conversation. Thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You've been listening to Techcetera, a podcast about the intersection of technology, culture, etc. This podcast was produced by Ericsson. For 130 years and counting, Ericsson has been innovating to deliver the best of mobile connectivity and broadband to billions of people around the world, driving positive change in every sector of our society. To find out more, head to our website at ericsson.com. To guarantee you don't miss an episode of Techcetera, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Sarah Goss, and I'll be back next episode with more Techcetera.